The world didn't need another hockey podcast. It needed a better one. Bear witness to the two-man forecheck. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Mike. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the post-All-Star Sprint to the trade deadline. Uh, a couple of teams have gotten uh, gotten in a midnight march on the rest of the league. Um, one of them paid pretty handsomely for a guy that you're somewhat uh, interested in. Um, another team, eh, I think a reasonable payment. Uh, we also have another head coach uh, going out uh, with a sack in hand. Um, that brings us to, I believe, six or seven for the season. Uh, I guess we need to ask the question at this point, how many more will go? Will we see a GM next uh, is another question we should talk about either this week or soon. And, of course, what's left at center um, to go between now and the trade deadline? Uh, we have stories, uh, good stuff, bad stuff. Uh, we have the All-Star Weekend to talk about. Um, I'm not sure which category most people listening will put that into, um, but we're going to talk about it ourselves. Where do you want to start? Well, since it just occurred, we should probably start with the All-Star Flameout. Ooh, gosh, Chris, I don't know what you mean by that. It was... They had all the fancy. Uh, they all had all the fancy, uh, fancy, fanciest stick handlers and all of the goal scorers there, and yeah. they had all of the press talking about how great these players were and how the revamped event was going to be spectacular. Um. Well, if you were to listen to ESPN and the guys on, uh, and and the guys in in the in the studio and at the rink, let's see. So. We're talking Steve. Generally, Lee, Mark, I don't do those things. Um, Messier, but, who, yeah, no. It, um, yeah, it was a wonderful weekend, um, except for the skills competition was lackluster and actually filled with a couple of um, moments that they probably would like to have back, like the fact that the clock didn't seem to work right out of the gate on the first skater in the fastest skater competition when William Nylander skated around the ice and then everybody went, well, we're going to have to wait to see what his time was because the clock wasn't working. Good um, look on the first skater of the night. That and wasn't, had, even, that wasn't had, even the thing that bothered me the most. They had a couple of other intriguing moments where they couldn't figure out whether they, I mean, it's funny that you have to go to a review in a hockey game to tell whether a puck is over a blue line or not when you could just put sensors in the boards and you would know whether the puck was over the line or not. Um, but they actually had to go to video review on multiple occasions in, in, the, skills comp- in the skills competition. Um, that is, that's still not even what bothers me the most about this weekend. Oh. They changed the format, and it didn't excite. They still haven't figured out how to make the goaltending portion excitable. I understand that, oh, my goodness. No, no, no. We only saw goaltenders for, like, three minutes during the skills competition. Oh, yeah. That's it. One one segment? And I'm honestly amazed that none of them hurt themselves because they basically came off the bench straight into the net to make one or two saves or – and then – no, I'm sorry – they had three shots. 
I no. can't. It's not even clear. But biggest problem for me. Yeah. Um, you listen to you rewatch the show, uh, the skills competition, which has been my favorite part since well before any of these players were born. And it was it is said by Connor McDavid and several others that after last year, we felt something had to change and things needed to be improved. And they talked to Connor McDavid about it. And now I watched the players. I'm a people watcher. Everyone, anyone who knows anything about me knows that my entire career uh, in day jobs has been working directly with people. Um, so I watched all of the players. You know, you got young guys. You've got the Hughes brothers. You've got guys who were there for the first time. You've yeah. got Sidney Crosby, who's practically the elder statesman. He might have been the elder statesman there. Um, you get David Pasternak. Um, when you think about like the way that players express emotions, what what runs through your head when you think of Sidney Crosby? <laughs> that's I mean, a lo- me, that's a, a loaded question. <laughs> he's a fairly reserved player, right? He's not he's not a guy who's wearing his heart on his sleeve. You don't you can't. Yeah, tell I, he's, I I would agree with that statement. He's he, he he's not. He's not Drew Doughty. He's not. He's not. He's, he's not Drew Doughty. He's not uh, Brad Marchand. He's not David Pasternak. Right. Yeah. Alex Ovechkin. He's, he he's, is more reserved. Yes. He is far more reserved than any of those guys. Mm-hmm. Watching the All Star Game, I genuinely felt like he was one of the very few players who was both engaged and enjoying himself. Genuinely felt like David Pasternak could probably have fun rolling down the side of a mountain. Like, he looked like he was, I won't say he was going through the motions, but I've seen David Pasternak when he's engaged and having fun. This wasn't it, except for that thing that happened later. I've watched Connor McDavid when he's engaged and having fun. He was in. Oh no, no! It's McDavid, hard to tell he's alive most of the time. But McDavid was engaged. Whether he was having fun remains to be seen. But he was engaged. He was actually. He actually was the one player, if you watched it, that actually seemed like he wanted to win. And clearly, Kucherov. Oh, Kucherov is. Kucherov did not care whether he was there or not. He 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 could take it or leave it. Kucherov, I don't think, wanted to be there is, I think, yeah. the biggest issue. And whether the there was the all-star festivities or the there was the all-star festivities in a very cold place instead of going someplace warm like they normally do. Um, and, and I will say this. I think that where it was located had an impact on him, at the very least on him. Because he was obvi- he was booed, Pasta and Swayman were booed, and I'm sorry, but if you can't handle the fact that it's an all-star weekend and just because you keep losing to these other teams, <laughs> your fan base is going to boo these people. I just got well, the feeling I- Kucherov was upset with being there, not only because of the weather, but also because of the 
frostiness of the fans. This was supposed to be like a fan fest type of weekend. and Yes. Yes. Um, the other part, I don't think it didn't feel like the fans were engaged. Like you go to most all-star games and there's rowdiness, there's cheering. Um, people are excited even during the skills competition or the all-star festivities. I thought this entire weekend it's sad that the all-star draft might have been the most interesting part of the weekend. The draft. I can tell you two people who were very much engaged that I saw during the all-star game itself. Go ahead. Maybe three. Cause I think Will Arnett was really engaged and he's not Will, one of the players. Will Arnett is not a player. He was the celebrity captain for Connor McDavid's team, which had Pasternak and Leon Dreisaitl. Yes. Um, and he was really engaged. He was he was enjoying it. He was he, and they talked to him during the skills competition and he was loving every minute of it. He, he was honored to be there. I mean, he really looked like it. The only two, the only other two people I could tell were really engaged. Justin Bieber and Jim Montgomery. Okay, um, let Jim me Montgomery let, let, hold on, was, hold on, hold on. I made notes. Let me look at uh, them. You actually um, made so, notes. I I was going to do that, and then I was like, I'm supposed to be enjoying this. I can't take notes. No, no, <laughs> I made notes on what you were saying. So, oh, okay. Jim Montgomery, Boston yes. Bruins head coach, one of the coaches for the All Star festivities. He Just was the winning Bieber, coach. Toronto kid, hockey fan, uh, musician, also on the winning team with all the Toronto players. Um, and Will Arnett, funny yes. man, middle-aged, not a player. Um, let me, uh, yep, uh, carry the one, divide by six, uh, multiply uh, by pi. Please tell and me you come up with zero players. Yeah, zero players. There you go. Whoa. Oh, and that's, don't. That's an issue. That's a real big issue. And I'm not saying and I'm not saying they weren't they, they, they like somebody. I, I don't know who it was because there were so many different 13s and this one's and that one's. But somebody made a comment on Nathan McKinnon scored a particular goal up over the shoulder of, uh, I don't know, Bobrovsky or something. like that. It was it was a sweet uh, and, and the comment. Wow, that was sick, you know. They're noticing that the play, but the, there was no emotion in anything that they were. Nobody was. I just didn't see. I'm sorry. No. And I no. I really dislike the reduction of the skills competition to one real winner. Um, That's, apparently, that was that, that was, was at, apparently Connor, that was a player thing. That was at Connor McDavid's suggestion, because, you know, when you're. When you're making the skills, when you're designing the skills competition, there's really only one player that it's made for, and you really only need to talk to that one player. So the NHL talked to Connor McDavid about how to improve the skills competition. Oh yeah, they improved it uh, to the point where it no longer works. It just, it was just, it wasn't the hardest shot competition, which used to be. One of my favorites to watch. That and the accuracy shooting, that the accuracy shooting and the speed skating, 
it used to be the three highlights of the weekend because there was something you could talk about forever. They Do you know who was the hardest shot? The hardest shot, wasn't that Brady Kachuk? See, and I thought it was, I thought it was Kale McCarr, one of the, or no. might, you know what? It might've been Kale McCarr. I think Brady was second. Somebody, somebody broke a hundred. Yeah. Kale McCarr hit 102 or something like that. Or somebody hit 102. It, I, I think it was Kale McCarr, but the fact that neither one of us can remember, and it's one of our favorite events, that tells you a lot. I mean, most of the guys, I think only one or two players broke 100 again. again. And, yes. And it's not its not like anybody's coming close to Shea Weber or Zdeno Chara anytime soon. 105 and 108 miles and 100. I'm sorry. It was at 108.5 and 108.8. Yeah. I mean, you've got guys like – And you've still got big guys in the league. I mean, Tage Thompson – who admittedly is not having the year this year that he did last year. Nice, big dude. He he could be there having fun and sending shots in at a good clip. Um, my, my, and I'm not trying to suggest ways to, well, I'm not trying to suggest many ways to fix it, but one one way they need to fix this is you need to stop limiting skills competition players to just those players that, are in the all-star game. That might be the best solution is elect skills players to two pools, the skills competition and the game um, or the games, plural. Um, I don't. Because I'm willing to bet there are guys out there that can um, slap harder or are better puck handlers. I mean, Kale McCarr is Kale McCarr is wonderfully skilled. He's not a huge guy. He can move quickly. Um, but yeah, there's probably at least two guys in the league who can hit a harder slap shot. The one guy that's come close to Connor McDavid in the last few years, as far as speed, isn't there in Dylan Larkin. Whether you think he's an All Star or not, but that's my point. He's still one of the fastest guys in the league. And right now, you're basically setting this up so that Connor McDavid can win fastest man for the next five years. Uh, based on the way the human performance curve, he's got maybe two more years. Anyway, that's just but, – but that's – this is my point is it – you've limited yeah. your pool of skills competition players – to just those people that are elected uh, popularity-wise. And that's that's an issue because, mm, well, it's an issue in a lot of ways. But here's, here's one of the other things that I think is um, problematic, and it's not – this isn't particularly an NHL issue, mm-hmm. but it's become apparent to me over the last three or four years – Yes. Um, three on three skating for anything longer than what the current overtime is for NHL games slows down to five on five speed. Um, I watched the women's uh, the PWHL uh, exhibition. Oh, that's the one thing I missed this weekend that I wanted to see, actually. And 
Well, it's an exhibition, and these women have a day job of, you know, being professional skaters and players in their own league. Yep. It didn't show the league off well. Really? Because it it was nowhere near as fast as the PWHL games I've seen um, to date. It was not as assertive. Um you watch a PH a PWHL game and it's most of those games are in the same level of they're probably at minimum like beanpot tournament uh, intensity um and the this the 3 on 3 exhibition it wasn't okay um like, I know that the the folks living up north are going to hate this, but quite frankly, I would rather we move we permanently assign the draft to these to the nine uh, seven Canadian cities and rotate them through every year and keep the All Star Game someplace where it's going to where it's expected to be above sixty uh, on on the All Star Weekend. Okay. Never the two shall meet. Um, it, it can rotate through Vegas and L.A. and Anaheim and Tampa and Florida and Dallas and Carolina and just call it call it a day. Because I, I think that for the players, that extra sunlight, the extra time just outside, breathing fresh air hanging out with the guys that they're going to be playing with. I also don't know that running it as a four-day festi- four event is the best thing for the players that are there. Did any of them really exert themselves? Not much and not for long. No. Well, Did any of them get the full rest that they would have if they'd had one more day off? Also, no. Um, I just <sighs> one one comment to you, three on three, and one final thought, and then I'm ready to put this to bed because it it should have been more entertaining than it was. But your three on three comment about entertaining. Um, your three on three comment about it it grinds down to five on five. It's tough to compare the three-on-three environment of the All-Star Weekend with the three-on-three environment of actually trying to win a game that has two points attached to it. Because I would love to see an additional few minutes added on to the three-on-three at the end of a regulation game as opposed to a shootout, which I think is just the saddest way to end. But I, I, I understand. Would rather, I would rather have a tie than a shootout. I, I understand that you know you can't go three on three all night long. But if you go to three on three for eight minutes instead of five, or you know, add that extra time that the shootout would have, because a three on three situation is going to net you a goal, and the goaltenders standing on their heads. How exciting is the three on three at the end of a regulation game compared it's good. to? That's why I'm saying compared to the all-star situation where they're just kind of skating around, nobody's physical, the goaltender. I mean, at one point, 
one point Connor Hellebach at the end of the championship game, they're coming in two on O and he's standing there like, Oh, here's the open corner. I mean, he's obviously joking around. He's like, go ahead, shoot for it, shoot for it. And then he gets down and it was back and forth, three more passes and they scored on him, but not in the place where he indicated, but I mean, clearly they're having fun. There's no, there's nothing behind it except for the fact that, well, you could be MVP. So yeah, three on three in there's there's a different connection between that and the three on three at the end of a game and my final thought goes back to that mvp and i'm sorry but this year's mvp felt like the year that they screwed jake gensel with the con smythe oh that and they gave it to Sidney crosby because it was clear annoyed about at least a decade it was clear and the commentators managed to make this many times over that it should have either been DeBrinket or Philip Forsberg or Matthew Barzal. Barzal and DeBrinket had the most points, both of them with six. Barzal had one goal and five assists, and it was only because DeBrinket passed the puck to him at the end of the championship game that he finally got his one goal. But And then Philip Forsberg, who had three or four goals in the, in the in in the entirety of the the festivities and even Austin Matthews after they gave him the award said that that was his pick for the all, the MVP on his team but yet somehow they give it to Austin Matthews and then the commentators are like you were you know you weren't going to see anybody else except Austin Matthews get that award so it was a foregone conclusion which means that it's absolutely pointless to give an award yes i'm sorry same yes. thing with the Conn Smythe, the year that Jake Gensel deserved it and should have gotten it. And Sidney Crosby should have been fourth on that list with his performance. It was a foregone conclusion. Sorry. Awful. And it just tied a nasty little bow on the whole weekend for me. Uh, speaking of nasty, um, we might as well take care of the other topic that makes no one happy. Um Blaine Locker, former Boston Bruin goaltender, uh, has uh, passed away unexpectedly. Um, I, I didn't, I didn't hear this until just uh, before we started the show. Um, Blaine Locker was one of my favorites. Locker, in that year, he had that ridiculous shutout streak. Was one of the best goalies I've ever seen. Well, that was in that was at that was at Lake State. That was in the NCAA's. Yeah, and he had he had a shutout streak, which is still a record to this day: three hundred seventy-five minutes and I think one second, something like that. Uh, still a record to this day. Came in as an undrafted rookie free agent signing to the Bruins, and his rookie season when. 21, I had the numbers. In. Uh, 22 and 16 with four ties in 47 games. Okay. Was that his career or was that, that was his career? Uh, yes. His rookie season. Oh, wait a minute. Hold on a second. Um, go, no. His rookie, his rookie season, he, he went 19-11 with two ties in 35 games for the Bruin in the 94-95 shortened season. Included a 9-2-1 start to his NHL career, 9-21 save percentage. Um, in 94-95, he had a 9-21 save percentage. 
That we talked about goaltending uh, just a couple of shows ago. Go back and listen to that. You said 9495. 9495. Yeah, I, I that's that's a, an outlier, an aberration, and uh, to just to put a just to put it in perspective of everyone of every goaltender who played 15 or more games uh, in that. Wait a minute, 94-95? 94-95 shortened season. Um, 19-11-2. I mean, he started that year, first-round playoffs, rookie goaltender. He starts every game in the first round. They, it was a five-game five loss to the Devils that year. Um, I want to say that they had a goaltender by the name of, um, yeah, Brodeur or something, you know. Didn't they go on to win the cup that year? I don't know. But, yeah, I'm sorry. It was just weird because then he starts the next season and he's lackluster. They have a, he's, He starts out 1-4-2. and two. He's demoted to Providence. He played nine more games in Providence. Over the next two seasons, he played 19 games in the IHL, which is now defunct, where one of my favorite Bruins came from, the Detroit Vipers, Sergei Samsonov. The uh, two other goaltenders for the Boston Bruins that season, one of them <laughs> I remember playing here. Yeah. One of them I absolutely have no memory of. Vincent Rindo. Vincent uh, Re- Vinny Riando, yes. Riando. And then Craig Billington. And Billington, yeah. And they respectively both. had 878 and 864 save percentages. Didn't say they were good, just said I remembered them. <laughs> um, Forty-four, 47 NHL games to his career. 47. And don't get me wrong, his numbers, because of... Because of... It... it, it, it the time that it was, he had a 2.8 goals against, and he finished with an 8.87 save percentage. Not good by today's standards, anyway. Back then, it was probably somewhere in the middle. But wow, did I enjoy watching him play! Uh, he was fun. He was. He could make the acrobatic save. He could make the simple save look acrobatic without making it look difficult. He was just. He was a breath of fresh air in net because, yeah, we had Vinny Riondo and Craig Billington who were not uh, very good. Um, yeah. And at 53, still a young guy. And he will be missed. They said I was reading another article to try and see if I could find something about his cause of death. Uh, none of the articles I've seen mentioned it, but the family did say that it was unexpected, so it doesn't sound like it was due to some kind of long-term illness or... Uh, uh, no, it was... Um, well, it's, I, I can't... I, I refuse to even speculate, but... Um, I'm not speculating, no. 
but he 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 will be missed. I enjoyed watching him. My condolences, our condolences go out to the family, friends, teammates. So that 94-95 season as a rookie, he went into the playoffs. Yep. Here are some of the uh, here are some of the guys who had worse save percentages than Blaine Lockwood that year, just in the playoffs, three game minimum. Okay. Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey Arthur, who ended up being a Bruin, by the way. Yep, Artis Urbe. Urbe who? For kid. Washington Capitals for a long time. Sharks before that. Urbe. Uh, Trevor Kid. Trevor Kid. Yep. Wade Flaherty, Glenn Healy, Stefan Pisset, some guy named Dominic Hasek, and another guy named Curtis Joseph. Cujo. Um, there's this Dominic. guy named – there's two Mikes, Vernon and Richter. Uh, yeah, they're both supposedly pretty good too, yeah. Kirk McLean uh, – Kirk McLean, Jocelyn – Vancouver Canucks. No, wait a minute. McLean. Yes. Vancouver Canucks, Canucks yeah. Um, Thibaut, Hextall – all of those guys had no better numbers or much worse numbers than Blaine Locker in that 94-95 uh, playoff run. There was no explanation as to why he dropped. I mean, part of part of my explanation of it was that the team was just not spectacular. But the drop-off... He had from- a bad reputation for goaltenders. And I mean, look at what they did with Tim Thomas. They tried to replace him like six times, and <sighs> yes, but what they replace what they tried to replace him with was um, significantly worse. Yes, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. But if he hadn't been uh, resi- mentally resilient, it just would have it would have turned into a major disaster. Um, so condolences to Blaine Locker's family um, and friends, and uh, you know I just no. Okay, will be missed. I, I can't say the next topic is going to make Chris happier, but um, there have been two two trades uh, in the last couple of days for centers. Um, one of them was a guy that I've talked about on and off for his whole career, Sean Monahan. Um, traded to the Jets, who basically don't need to get any, who didn't need to get any stronger. Um, I think this is a reasonable trade. First round pick, conditional pick. Um, Monahan. Uh, it's a, and it's not even a, it's a first round pick in 2025, so it's next year. Yeah. Um, He's been traded for a first-round pick by the Montreal Canadiens. Um, so you have to wonder if you're the Winnipeg Jets, is there even a chance we're going to sign this guy? Like, you, he was traded away by Montreal. He went back there, um, and they're trading him away again. Um is well well that's not the most important part of the equation for them because as we talked about a couple of weeks ago Winnipeg's in a pretty solid position they're in uh, a yeah. solid position to be playing in the last game of the season with a pretty solid goaltender 
Um, and the thing is, for Winnipeg, should Cheveldayoff decide to that he's all in this season, they have Montreal second this year. Um, they don't have their own first or second this year, but they have all of the rest of their picks uh, this year. And the only pick they're missing from the next two years is the fourth round in 2025. That's a lot, a lot that you can do in terms of acquiring talent if you can find a way to get it to become cap compliant in some way. Um, right now, they do have Shapley and Gustafson um, on injured reserve. Uh, they've got a little bit of dead cap, well, two and three quarters with Blake Wheeler's buyout. Um, if you look at the list of young prospects in their system, and without diving into what their actual what the value of any of them are, almost every single one of them is under twenty uh, is under twenty one years old uh, uh, for their forwards, and their defense is pretty much as young. They've got two older guys who are twenty nine and twenty six. Uh, one of them I know I've seen in the uh, in the NHL a couple of times, but. Billy Hileo, um, Simon Lundmark, Tyler Bauer, Elias uh, Solomonson, Dmitry Kuzmin, Artemi uh, Knezev, all 23 years of age or younger uh, on their blue line, mm-hmm. and all of them on entry-level contracts. Like, almost, there's only five guys in their prospect system who are signed and aren't on entry-level contracts. That's not a leverage. Um, or those are skaters. Both of their goalie prospects are uh, are on their two levels as well. Okay. That's a lot of damage. I mean, if you want to move a dead contract, if you want to move someone uh, whose contract, who's well underperforming their contract, you got you literally got the leverage to do it as long as you're willing. Um, I think this is a good trade. I think this is a really solid hockey trade for both sides. Montreal. Isn't he on a, isn't he on a show me contract? He's on a show me contract. It's a, he's a UFA at the end of the year. Um, it's 1.985. Exactly. 2 million. He's 29 years old. Uh, I assume he'll be turning 30. He doesn't actually turn 30 until the start of the season, um, October 12th. So this um, is a very good deal for Winnipeg. They gave up two con- – I mean, you gave up a conditional first in next year's draft. I mean, yeah, no, this is this is a win for Winnipeg. Sorry. This is – but it's also a win for Montreal. You look at the next two drafts, they have two first round picks in each. They have they have Colorado's second this year. They have Minnesota's and their own third. They have Chicago, um, San Jose's fifth. And, you know, seventh rounders, we've seen players come out of there. But they have the Caps and the Oilers picks plus their own. They have a Penguins pick next year, which I think is going to be more valuable than a lot of Penguins fans want to hear. They have a Canucks <laughs> pick next year. Yeah, they're not going to like that. They have a Red Wings pick next year. Um, the the Habs are the Habs are 
being they're acquiring assets in a very very sensible manner. Kent Hughes, Kent Hughes, um, who by the way had no GM experience before this, wasn't he? An, wasn't he the one he that was he agent. was an agent? Yep. Yeah. So doing pretty good so far. I'm not going to say he's. I'm, you know, not going to start putting him up there. You know, top of the charts with. I'm giving with, him the executive of the year award, but I'm not putting him up there with the John Chakers of the world. But uh, Kent Hughes is doing himself no disservice with what he's building in Montreal. And that's, of course, with him being handicapped by two more years at ten and a half million of contracts. <laughs> Wait a minute. No, they, they well, they got he's on he's considered long term injured reserve, so he's not counting against the cap, right? They're still paying it. And well, well, Montreal, Toronto, Boston they're effectively licensed to print money. It's still ten and a half million. Yes. You're getting nothing for. It's ten and a half million, yes. It's not um, good. But, but there's but even there, right now they have eleven and a half million on injured reserve with Christian Dvorak, Cor- uh, Kirby Doc, Alex Newick, uh, Newhook, and Chris Weidman. Um plus By the way, couple of couple of good young players there with Kirby Doc and Alex Newhook. He, I would not necessarily cry if um, Kirby Doc were to end up in the right uniform, um, assuming he could stay healthy. And we know I like Christian Dvorak. Um, he's he might actually be a viable solution uh, at center if if he can ever come back healthy. I don't know what he's on IR for, so. I'd have to look yeah, that one up. He's out season, torn pectoral. That was January 4th. Ooh. Yeah, that's... Uh, on pec, that was... Uh, Cody Rhodes had that, and he was out for nine, nine ten months. months. Nine yeah. or ten months, yeah. Not saying he can't return from it. I mean, obviously, Cody Rhodes is still performing. Not that I want to talk WWE, but just comparing injury-wise, you know, he had a torn pack, and his was pretty damn bad. Ugh, it was it was gruesome. Like yeah. for a injury that doesn't actually give you visibility inside the skin, it was still pretty gross. So yeah, a speedy recovery to you, Christian. Because wow, I don't wish that on anyone. Speedy and complete. Um, yeah. But it, I, yeah, this was a good this was a good deal for both teams, and Sean Monahan is going to. Serve Winnipeg well. This was a, this was a smart move on Cheval Dayoff's part. Uh, and I may be using. This is the type of trade you want to see more of in hockey because both sides win. Both sides get what they need without having to completely destroy their rosters. And of course, the other trade. You really are trying to get me worked up today, huh? I'm not trying. Was, You're doing a pretty good job all by yourself. Wasn't wasn't good enough when I got worked up over All Star Weekend, huh? All right, here we go. Come on. Hey, hey, hey! I am not responsible for your emotional regulation or lack thereof. I have very good emotional regulation. Of course you do. Just don't mention certain general managers who should be fired. 
Well, we know what the biggest trade package of the year so far is. And that's the one for Elias Lindholm. Because as much as I like Elias Lindholm, I'm not sure I make this trade. Because here's what he went for. Because Patrick Alvin. A first round pick, a fourth round pick, um, Hunter uh, Bruzewitz. Um, I'm sorry, say that again? <laughs> I will in a minute. <laughs> yeah, okay. Go practice a couple more times. I can't say it. That's why I didn't want to try. <laughs> um, who is a 19-year-old right defenseman, six feet tall, um, third-round pick uh, in 2023, playing for the Kitchener Rangers, where as a defenseman, Uh-oh. eight goals, 61 assists for 69 points in 49 games this season. Yeah, I don't know if that's good. Um, I accidentally lost a player. Uh, Yoni Yermo. Yoni Yermo. Also a prospect. Um, a left defenseman out of Espo, Sweden. Six four, 190 pounds. Again, a third round pick. Yeah. Um, he's playing. It looks like he's playing across uh, the. Uh, Finnish leagues, and he's gotten he he's gotten into let's see what is that 32 43 games. Um, seems more of a defensive player, a defensive minded defenseman, which is a nice balance to the other guy they just picked up. And Hunter Bruskowitz. Oh no, we already covered the fact that he is lighting things up. And they picked up uh, Andre uh, Kuzmenko, um, undrafted Russian. Um, yeah. Left wing, right wing, five and a half million dollars of cap space. Um, we've seen him in the NHL last year in his rookie season in the NHL. 74 points, including 39 goals in 81 games. Vancouver was high on him. They did Vancouver, the organization, and I don't mean Patrick Alvin, but the organization and the other player. Everybody seemed to think that uh, Kuzmenko was the the going to be like the second coming, the next big thing, the, you know, Kuzmenko, Kuzmenko. And now you've he's dealt. He's step back this year. It, like, there's no, there's no sugarcoating it. He's got 21 points through 43 games, eight goals, um, which is not great. But when okay. you come into a league and you put up 39 goals, you're yeah. going to get back to the 25, 30 mark, unless you had some severe injury that just wasn't taken care of. Fair enough. I mean, I mean, this is still a huge payment for Elias Lindholm, and I package. It's a big package. I. I mean. I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, but um, Kuzmenko has one less goal, and um, one less goal and ten less points than that Ovechkin guy. Maybe it's just a bad year for Russians. I don't know. Um, but this is this is an enormous package. I mean, you've got all this term left on these young guys. Uh, Kuzmenko has uh, well, he's a 
he'll be a UFA at the end of the season, whatever. I think you're going to be able to re-sign him. Um, Hunter is, and there's three kids whose rights you own um, because they're not yet signed. Uh, that's that's a lot. That's a lot of talent. Um, plus a first and a fourth. It's not just the first and the fourth, and and one or two dudes. It's I don't want to call it an overpayment, but if mm-hmm. this is the true bar, what it's going to take to move impact players this year. We are definitely going to be calling it silly season without exaggerating even well, the smallest amount. Well, here's the thing. It's it's not even that you're deep into silly season yet. We're this still we're still weeks out from the actual death. Imagine if this trade happened a day or two before the deadline, what the payment would have to be. I'm assuming that I, as the deadline creeps up, payments, you know, the, the price tag is going to go higher. This is weeks out, and this is what they had to pay. Now, I did find another story in it, it, from Clutch sure. Points. And it says, the reason the Bruins lost out on Elias Lindholm, because, yes, did I want the Bruins to get him? Yeah, him, Monaghan. Uh, we've talked about other centers, and, and we will shortly. But apparently, the Bruins actually were in on Elias. Elias, Elias, however you want to say it. It's Elias. It's yep. Elias Pedersen, Elias Lindholm. Apparently, they were in on him. However, or... Uh, Elliot, is it Friedman? I think I think it's Elliot Friedman. Yeah, yes. suggested the Bruins were interested. Um, it was an unnamed team. He thinks it was the Bruins, but the reason they didn't go for him was because they wanted a long-term deal in place before acquiring him, or an extension. And if the cost is this high, I, as much as it annoys me that Sweeney doesn't get these deals done, he probably made the right choice. It is expensive, yes, and I'm I'm okay with not I'm okay with him not paying what Vancouver had Gone. to give up. Yeah, it's what bothers me is that Elias was the first domino to fall. Yes, and Mon- and and Sweeney didn't react by going after a Monahan. Not now, to mention, Kadri signed a long-term extension. Yeah. Um, so he, we have to assume that he's off the market. Mm-hmm. Um, which brings you back to the tier two players um, and the players who's well, there's a tier, there's a tier one player, but as we talked about, I don't think that he's going to be available to anyone. Well, oh. I would, I would reluctantly put him in tier two simply based on his age. Okay. It's not necessarily fair, um, but. Okay, so guys who are uh, you look at everyone else and mm, yeah, there's there's not much. There's really, 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 really. There's a whole lot of there's a whole lot of not much out there because now you are talking Adam Henrique, and I'm sorry, but I mean it's Ryan O'Reilly at age 32 and change. Um, and I wouldn't mind Ryan O'Reilly. 
we've I've and said that's with he's he's got three reasonable years left on his contract. You know, four and a half million dollar cap hit. Um, next year's salary is only five million, uh, and it's for the two years after that. So it's not even like he would be spending a lot. But he's thirty-two. Um, he's been pretty healthy uh, for the most part. Uh, he did have a couple of years in Buffalo where he missed several games um, and a couple of years uh, in Colorado where he missed some time. He's got a lot of miles. He's over a thousand regular season games, 75 more. So you're talking 1100 plus NHL games total. Um, But then it's everyone else. Like is Joel Erickson actually available? I doubt it. Um, Really doubt it. But here's here's the reason. First of all, here's the reason that Ryan O'Reilly's not available. Nashville is currently tied with the St. Louis Blues at 54 points for the second spot in the wild card. Nashville's not in a sell situation right now. That's why I don't think Ryan O'Reilly is going anywhere. Joel Erickson in Minnesota. I don't think even if they are sellers and they are five. I mean, they're seven points out of a playoff spot. They're in seventh in the wild. They're five spots out. It, it, even if they are sellers, they're five they're spots not, and seven points. Yeah. Even if they are sellers, Joel Eriksson is the piece that they're not dealing because they're going to build around him. There, and you can't blame them. He's got term and he's got a solid contract. A, exactly. a contract. And Billy Garen is not an idiot. <laughs> Billy Garen is no one's fool. So Erickson Eck is out. Now we're uh, down to and, – and I don't even know if I'd count him in tier two. I'd put him like bottom of tier one, but not available. Who? Erickson Eck. Oh. I'm just saying you, you, were, you said we're down to the tier two guys. I don't think I'd put him tier two. I think I'd put him like bottom of tier one, but he's not available. At least, I don't think he is. I mean I'd be surprised if Garrett – I suppose if Garen got a package that you just couldn't say no to. If he got the Elias Patterson package, he'd say yes. Elias Patterson or the Elias Lindholm package? The Lindholm package. The package that was paid for him uh, probably says yes. So now we're down to guys like Adam Henrique, who I'm just not sold on. I'm, he's a third. Again, we're talking third or fourth line center, which is not what the Bruins are needing. The Bruins need somebody who can fill in as a second. And you're not you're not going to get that number one center at the trade deadline. Okay, let's let's go a little bit. Uh, let's go a little bit broader in our in our search. But my frustration is not my frustration is not with the fact that Elias Lindholm got traded to the to the Canucks. Great, he went west. We don't have to see him. Um, we don't have to see him until the last series of the year if we get that far and they get I, I that far. That, I think the Bruins have a game or two with Vancouver in the in, in, in the toward the end of the season. But my point is that he didn't get traded to Toronto. He didn't get traded to Florida. He didn't, so we don't have to see him in the in the Eastern Conference portion of the playoffs. So that's fine. But still, I, my aggravation is just with Don Sweeney and the fact that he couldn't react to one by making a 
some kind of inquiry into a, a rather affordable and equivalent player to Elias Lindholm. Sean Monahan, you look at their numbers, they're fairly close. One's got like 35 points, the other one's got 32. They're both 29 years old. They're both uh, they're both top tier centers. I mean, it, it, but if you dive into the numbers, apparently there's there's comparisons there, and the price tag that Chevel Dayoff paid compared to the price tag that Alvin paid. Wow. <laughs> but who else okay. is available? I mean. Like I said, Adam, I'm looking at it strictly from a, and all I'm seeing is like Adam Henrique's available. Yay. Let's get back Frank Petrano instead. Next Kerfoot. I don't know that he actually qualifies as a number one center. I don't think he does. He might be a number two center. Everyone's problem is, is that they have a guy, a bunch of guys who might be number twos. But really, your number threes are not are not centers at all. Okay. Um, so Kerfoot. I mean, if you believe that he that fifty one points is in the range that he's that you really expect him to get to, most seasons or higher. Okay. Um. I mean, there's we we mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. I don't know that he would move, and I don't think that they can really afford him. And that's before you get into talking about his uh, lack of foot speed and his <laughs> uh, accumulation of years, um, plus still having three full seasons left on the contract. Okay. Uh, Logan Couture. I mean, he's a second tier guy at because of the questions about foot speed. He's going to be 35 in five weeks. Um, well, seven weeks. Um, Unfortunately, the one guy on that team that I would have any kind of interest in signed himself a long-term extension, and they're going to try and build around him, and that would be Tomas Hurdle. But he's not going anywhere, considering the extension he just he, he signed. So, so there's one guy I'm going to bring up, and almost everyone from this city will immediately say no, uh, because we're going to talk about that team in just a minute, anyways. Okay, now you've lost me. No, uh, no, no, I haven't. Um, I don't, I do not view this as likely. Again, repeat, amplify, I do not view this as likely. Okay. But I think due diligence as a general manager for Don Don, or for that matter, anyone else looking for a center, requires <clears throat> that you give Rob Blake a call uh, okay and say is Kopitar available yeah they can say no he's got a no movement clause he can say no um but after this year his contract it, he's signed, he's got a contract that drops down to seven million a year 
Um, so a decent hit. Yes, he's older, but he's put up 41 points in 48 games this year. Um, so he's not, he has not fallen off the cliff. And two more years at 30, he'll be 37 at the start of next year. It's undeniably skilled, undeniably interested in winning, but productive in the playoffs, has a ring, or has a couple of rings for that matter. Um, I think due diligence requires requires that you call and ask about him. Well, then. And after they, you're shut down. Well, then he better call. He better call Nashville first. After you're I, shut down I in would, L.A., um, the other guy that you probably need to think about, at least asking about, because I think he is a legit number two. Um, he does also, unfortunately, have. Uh, he has a no movement this year and then a modified 10 team no trade next year. Mm-hmm. Um, but given all things considered, at 30 years, well, he'll be 31 the end of this month, before the month ends. Former okay. first overall pick uh, by Chica- uh, first round pick by Chicago. Look to know. I think he's a gettable player. Um, if the Kings Wait. are really not expecting to win this year or do much this year. Played for Montreal before the Kings. So played for Montreal him. and he played for Chicago. For, uh, well, only 32 games for Chicago. We've seen, But we've seen him quite a bit in Boston because, like I said, he, well, yeah, he, he probably counts as a Bruin, if not a Bruins killer, then certainly a Bruins annoyance. Hey, I always wanted Thomas Plakanich. Thomas Plakanich. So. And his face-off percentages are pretty solid. Um, I think that it's. I think it's worth talking about. Fifty point seven this year. I still put um, both of them below. If we're gonna, if we're gonna, if we're going pie in the sky, though, then Sweeney needs to pick up the phone, call Barry Trotz. After Barry Trotz is through laughing at him, then he can call L.A. And then Rob Blake's going to laugh at him. I, I don't know that Rob Blake would laugh at Philip Deneau, at a Philip Deneau trade. I mean, he might try and convince you that Pierre-Luc Dubois has been dying to play for the Boston Bruins for a few minutes. But um, maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe Pierre-Luc Dubois has been dying to play for Boston. He wants to get to the playoffs. Um, Although his time in the playoffs... Actually, what was that? Was that the pretend offs? And he actually had a decent playoffs, I think. Yeah, that was four years ago at this point. Yes. So after after Barry and and after Barry and Rob have laughed at at Don and his ego has taken a hit, then he can turn around and call Pat Verbeek and say, um, "What do you take for Adam Henrique?" And after Pat Verbeek stops giggling because he knows he's got the fish on the hook, he's going to say, well, I know you don't have any firsts, like, ever, because you keep trading them away. So you're going to have to give us your first in 2026, but you're going to have to give us your second next year or this year. 
and oh, by the way, I want a prospect for a 33-year-old uh, who is no better or worse than what they already have at center. I don't. I, I'm just not seeing centers as being. Obviously, no, it's going to be. There's not. There's not a lot out there. Um, the two guys. Uh, the next most useful guy at center, I don't see available, even though his team is currently six points out of a playoff spot. Um, even though he's uh, performing adequately or better. Um, and that's Bo Horvat. Um, and the Islanders are getting rid of him. Why? As I said, I don't see him as available, but I think he's probably the next get best guy theoretically available. Um, but you're paying him. I mean, he's eight and a half million. They've got cap assurance till the heat death of the universe. Um, I mean, the Islanders are fighting. Yeah, like you said, six points out. The Islanders are still trying to get into the playoffs. Whether it happens or not, <laughs> well, that's I why they're driving the You know, I think that they, not that I, again, I don't think this is likely, but you could get him to not laugh at you for 10 minutes. Um, well, their goaltenders are Varlamov at 35. And Logan, who's 28, neither of whom is having a spectacular season, 909 and 914. 914 is certainly not terrible for Varley, but again, he's only played 16 games this year. Mm-hmm. Um, if your trade piece is one of the Bruins. Uh, goaltenders not on the roster as part of the inducement um, for, or at least you start a conversation with that, a young defenseman, because if you start talking about Omar, they're going to talk about Swayman because Omar is closer in age to them. Uh, Omar, well, Omar's 30, so mm, you've got more years, but um, <clears throat> you talk about Brandon Busey, he's only he's 25. DiPietro, 24. Uh, Kaiser, 24. Um, that's I mean that's a full decade younger than Varley. Well, I don't think Sway Sway's going anywhere. I think if they're dealing a goaltender, it's either Olmark or yes, if they Raymond can find. Isn't signed by the trade deadline. I am very worried. Who? I heard rumors that he wants to play on the West Coast, and I Sway? think that, yes. Well, remember he's from Alaska, and his family to watch nine. It's like seven or eight hours time difference. Uh, I mean, Kyle Kaiser is probably not going to get it done this year. He's not having good numbers no. in either league. Unfortunately, um, unfortunately, the team closest to his family doesn't need him right now. And I know it sounds terrible to say it that way, but Vancouver has Thatcher Demko. Uh, and, and Thatcher Demko is probably next closest, and they don't yeah. really need him either. Well, he's better than I, – I like Joey Decord. I really do. He's from here for one thing. But he, yeah. 
I mean, he's actually showing what he can do. But if you get a Jeremy Swayman in Seattle, uh, I think you choose him over Joey at this point in time. I'm not saying that going forward, Joey Decord doesn't suddenly surprise you and he's like best goaltender in the NHL. I'm just saying right now, if you look at if you have the opportunity to get Sway and if the Bruins know that he wants to go west, they need to move before losing him for absolutely nothing. Yes. As I said, if he's not signed before the deadline, I am very worried. I'm like table flipping annoyed if Swayman walks for nothing. Um, let's see. We are a good chunk into the show. Um, and we've talked about most of these solutions or theoretical solutions the Bruins Center needs a couple of times. Yeah, um, we have. Let's talk about something we haven't actually talked about um, in probably a year or certainly since summer. Um, two, it's actually two topics in the same uh, location. Okay. When I say hockey... Uh, in America, I'm sure that like all of our listeners and all of their friends and all of their family and neighbors, that you immediately think Utah. Right? Yes, of course. Um, I'm going to go with no, because there's nothing in Utah. They have a basketball team. Oh, um, yeah, that's right. They have the Utah Jazz. My apologies. They do have and. Them. They also are shortlisted for or are moving towards being shortlisted for the uh, 2036 Olympics, which means, you know, you need That's to not fair. Salt Lake's already had Olympics. Your point? Well, they got a lot of space. I guess they could put Olympics out there. Um, and, of course, as you and I talked about a couple of weeks back. Yeah. Um, the Utah Jazz owner has said that he would be interested. How interested? We don't know, but interested <laughs> in bringing the NHL to play in his arena. And it's probably not just for the 41 additional home games um, and days you don't have to worry about your ticket department or your uh, sales department finding someone to occupy your building. Well, um, there's, there, I, he, he has said that. And lo and behold, we do have a, we do have a homeless team in the NHL. So, well, we're going to get to that in a minute too. Um, I don't think I put it into, um, we'll get right. to that in a second, but okay. Arizona is the team you're talking about, obviously. Um, well, I, I, Arizona is the team I'm talking about. And yes, they are technically homeless, although there's supposedly deals in place, blah, blah, blah. What I'm actually trying to do more than find them a home or get them a deal in, in the desert, which is fine with me. I kind of want the ownership group gone. I don't like the impression that it leaves 
the taste in the mouth that it leaves having these guys running that organization into the ground. Boy. I'm not a big fan, but whatever else you can say about the Arizona Coyotes, in the theoretical marvelous world where draft picks work out a very, very high percentage of the time, okay, you have to like what they're doing. Okay, they have ten first round picks over the ne- uh, second round picks over the next three seasons, um, and then yes, they have but- seven third round picks over the next three seasons, three drafts. I understand that, but accumulating draft picks is isn't not the same as running a team. No, it isn't the same as putting a product on the ice that's going to win an, a Stanley Cup or get you into the first round of the playoffs or deep into the playoffs, for that matter. <coughs> no, it's not. But to, I mean, to quote Jerry Maguire, <clears throat> until you know, player goes pro, it's like popcorn in the pan. Some of them pop, some of them don't. And I get that. Like, I I genuinely get that. But with those, that many draft picks, you have to hit on at least two of them by accident. Like, literally <laughs> by pulling names out of a hat. Dots on a board. Names in a, names in a hat. Okay. Um, I'm pulling out all the cliches today. Okay. We should avoid cliches like the plague from here to the end of the show. Sure. That's not going to happen. Um, but so yeah. Utah. Sorry, I keep. I, I'm assuming assuming Utah gets the Olympics again because the NHL is slated to go back to the Olympics. We could see the NHL playing right there in Utah. In two and a half years, regardless of whether there's an NHL team there or not. Now, if they actually have an arena that is brand new and ready for the ready for the Olympics for 2026, that makes expansion that much easier. Well, we know the league loves expansion to the two worlds. What's if it, there's five, six hundred million in Salt Lake City or somewhere in the greater Salt Lake City area. I think that means the next team needs to be in the east, and that makes Quebec. <laughs> Quebec can't decide awesome. whether they want a team or not. <laughs> um I mean after that you're probably scrounging for a Another billionaire interested in building a team, either like a second Chicago team or a second uh, Greater Toronto team, or you're going to someplace like the or Chicago's in the West. Your next team, your next team after they decide to put a team in Utah, you're either going into Quebec or you're going somewhere south and you're going to have a resurgence of like the Atlanta Flames or something. I don't see them. Uh, Gary Bettman would literally do cartwheels at, at his advanced age if we could get back into Atlanta with ownership that was clueful. Um, like literally do them, and you know I'd be there for the show. Um, no, I wouldn't want to see that. No, <laughs> but I, I don't. I don't see Atlanta 
for the third time uh, right now. So no Atlanta Flames, no Atlanta Thrashers. Uh, Georgia Bulldogs. That's what we'll call them. Georgia Bulldogs. No, you can't do that because the university has the copyright. How about the Georgia Peach Farmers? You could do that, but I don't know if it instills a a feeling of foreboding or – You mean like Minnesota Wild? (laughs) Wild is better than Peach Farmers, but yeah, I get your point. (laughs) Or the Atlanta Thrashers, a little tiny bird. I'm not saying they thought these things out when they named the team. Somebody, the Thrashers are local, local, you know, the The state bird. Yes. There you go. So unfortunately, yes, it's a tiny bird. But then again, if you named them the Atlanta Peregrine Falcons, Peregrine Falcons are not exactly big birds either. They're dangerous as all hell, but but they're tiny, but they're smaller birds. I mean. But this Utah thing, I mean, is this Utah thing really, do you have, what's your sense on Utah? Because I'm, I think that saying, I've been saying Utah made sense for 10 years. I think Batman's dragging him along. Now, I do think that Atlanta, that the Salt Lake City has been promoted to, uh, to the Vegas role of, Boogeyman or teams who who aren't getting arenas or who aren't getting um they what the what the league wants in their home market. Mm-hmm. Is that Salt uh, Lake City or Lake Tahoe? Uh, is Salt Lake because Utah is there gambling in Utah? Legal. <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, there's there's gambling everywhere. There's more than 10 humans. But um, but I don't know that there's I mean, the the main reason that Vegas was taboo was because you couldn't combine sports and gambling. Well, the NFL, the NHL have proven that you can have sports in Vegas so much so that the Oakland A's are now moving to Vegas and they're going to have three sports franchises. The only one they don't have is a basketball team. But wait, they do have a women's basketball team, the Las Vegas Aces, who keep winning championships. And also owned by Mark Davis, the guy who owns the Raiders. Uh, so it's I, – I, I don't know. Is Salt Lake City you know really that bad that you – I think I, – I don't know. I just get this sense that Gary Bettman's kind of – Dragon, you know, he's got the he, he's that kid think, with the. I think this is at least the, currently a boogeyman to scare the current league cities. I really do. Um. Yes. Now, okay. He's using it as sort of like that, sort of like a veiled threat type of deal. Like we could always, we, you could always end up here. Yes. Um. And actually, Atlanta. I think we. I think if we see another team end up there, uh, it might be the Mountain Lions because Stone Mountain is right outside, uh, right outside Atlanta. Wow, that was that was digressing just a little bit, but okay. <laughs> it took um, a U-turn that I didn't see coming. We went right back to Atlanta. Uh, seriously, I, Salt Lake. I don't think Salt Lake would be a terrible idea as far as hockey. I honestly think that this is. <sighs> 
I think that this is, is as you said, a threat. I think that Batman is using it sort of as a against, first of all, against Arizona. So they get their butts in gear and get themselves a home because you can't keep playing at the Mullet Arena. I'm sorry. 5,000 seats is not going to cut it. Batman's not going to keep letting you lose money for him and, and the league and the owners. I think the rest of the owners are not going to let it keep happening. Um, it, sucks and for, it sucks for places like Houston, though, who have been. That is another city I think is possible. But I, at this point, if you're moving to Houston and you're not building your own arena, you're looking at sharing with the Houston Rockets, Houston Rockets and the guy who lived there who wanted who used to own the Rockets um, or a big chunk of the Rockets uh, just sold his percentage. Which means that um, he went, he wanted an NHL team. He, he was okay with putting an NHL team really in the building. Him. They didn't want him. Oh. Um, this was years ago, um, and Cuban sold his shares. Um, Cuban owns a Dallas Mavericks. That's a different team. Mavericks. Uh, sorry, uh, he sold his share in that and them. Well, but that's Dallas. That's not Houston. So I'm and Dallas. Never mind. Dallas has a hockey team. No, the, the, the Houston Rockets, the owner of the Houston Rockets has come out and said that he want he he's he's all for putting a team in Houston. And he's already they've already got the building and they certainly can they certainly can fit it for NHL. But Houston okay, keeps Cuban getting. Cuban sold his shares of the Dallas Mavericks. You're right. Um, I thought that was Houston first. Uh, no, Mark Cuban owns the Dallas Mavericks. He's kind of a clown sometimes, but he he's just sold his majority stake. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so Houston's but, kind of been getting rebuffed by by Batman, and I don't know why. It's like the fourth largest city. There's lots of transplants. Um, it's got a couple of airports. I, I'm not 100% sure why. Um, I'm sure the league has numbers, but it's not even the only Texas city that you could put it into. You've got Austin. You've got San Antonio um, as well if you don't like Houston. Uh, and Austin doesn't have any pro sports. You could, like like Vegas, you could be the first of the big four sports to land there. Okay. I'm just trying to figure uh, out what the what I'm trying so to figure out what Salt Lake's viability is and what the attraction is to Salt Lake, I guess. Salt Lake City actually has if you look deep into the stats and I'll tweet out uh, the research I did using an AI tool this week. Um, its stats are pretty comparable to most of the rest of the league. Um, it's a smaller city than most of the big seat, big ones. But, you know, when New York City and Toronto uh, and Dallas and Chicago are already on your list, as well as L.A., everything else is going to be smaller on the continent north of Mexico City. Um, but it, it's it's actually pretty comparable. OK. Um, you keep you kept bringing up the Coyotes and you are three thousand percent right that the fact that they have had ownership issues essentially since they landed there. 
and have had um, no real NHL quality arena this season and the next year or two. Um, just totally, completely ridiculous. Um, but Stacy Barchanger uh, wrote yesterday that the Coyotes have applied to buy state land in North Phoenix with an eye on an arena, so this saga could finally, finally come to an end. Um, yeah, I'm and maybe not. they can have Dwayne Johnson announce the announce the deal. What is it my mother used to say? Oh wait, I won't hold my breath. Uh, I don't know how else to say it. To it, it, it's nice. It says Arizona Coyotes. The tweet confirmed. We have every intention of staying in the desert. We owe it to the best fans in the world to make it happen. That's great. Stop stringing Coyotes fans along, you clowns. Do something. I'm glad they're fully committed. I think the Arizona Coyotes fans deserve better. Sorry, I do. It's it's awful. What this is? They chased they chased one of the better GMs in the league out of town. With when they chased out John, I don't understand. Still don't to this day don't understand what happened there. And Chris Johnston uh, on Friday tweeted out that he is uh, tweeted out that Gary Bettman is in quotes reasonably confident. The Coyotes owner, uh, Alex Marullo, will deliver on his promise to secure a new NHL quality arena in Arizona. Um, Bettman on Yotes Arena situation, quote, Alex Marullo told me he was certain he will get this done. I am hopeful and reasonably confident he's going to do what he says, end quote. Have you seen him pay his bills? Now, in fairness, while he does pay his bills, um, paying them on time is a completely different thing. I'm sorry. I just I want to believe this so bad, but I'm having trouble with it. I just am. I know it's not fair to them, but I just feel like the Arizona fans are getting the raw end of the deal on this. I want us. I need this guy to show something. I need a. I need a. I need a picture of a huge plot of land in the Arizona desert with a sold sign on it. Does Alex Marullo have to be standing there with a shovel to break ground to, or will, or is just like the deed enough for you? I need some way to confirm that it's his signature on the deed. Okay, so you're going to DNA and fingerprint. Uh, test the the paper. I get it. Um, I'll do what I have to, I guess, but yeah. <laughs> now, we mentioned the L.A. Kings a few minutes ago uh, while we were talking about uh, potentially going after Deneau or Kopi. Um, okay. The reason I think that, there mu- that due diligence needs to be done there is, of course, that yet another coach has uh, joined the ranks of the unemployed um, Todd McClellan is out um, after a mm, bumpy slide. I won't even call it a long slide, 
um, because they were still producing points uh, in that time. They were like three, eight, and four, or something like that. But they did manage. They and they're still in a playoff spot, which is mm, premature, perhaps perfunctory. Um. So McClellan, uh, yeah. I, this is I. I was. I'm slightly was, confused by this one, and I was particularly reading. where. Jim Hiller is named interim coach for the rest of the season. Well, that's that's what they do. They're not gonna uh, like, they're not gonna turn around and fire him. He's but no no no. You call someone an interim coach, it's presumed that it's the rest of the season, or you're giving them ten games to try out. But when you say it's for the rest of the season, are you even stating are you even telling that person that they have a job at all next year or that because to me it sounds like you're saying yeah you should start looking too this is your audition for someone else we're not we're not that interested he needs to be floating his resume that would be my first advice to him or at least getting it ready updating it do what he has to do because interim interim head coach for the remainder of the season says to me I'm going to be coaching for the rest of this season. And then when they bring in a new guy, not if, but when they bring in a new guy, he's going to want his own assistance and I'm going to be out. Because he has exactly two days of head coaching experience. (laughs) He was an assistant coach for LA for a year, six months and 14 days. Um, Did you say two days of head coaching experience? Exactly two days. He was hired on February 2nd, and today is February 4th. Oh, okay. Good, good. Yep. No. That's... Yes. Um, before that, he was assistant coach uh, on the island for just under three years, an assistant coach in Toronto for just under four years, and an assistant coach in uh, Detroit for a year. So he's got, you know, nine, ten years of uh, assistant coaching experience. Hooray. Right. So I have the solution for that. When he's updating his resume, he puts down head coach L.A. Kings February 2nd to present. As one does. There you go. See that? Perfect. Brilliant. I I feel for this guy because it does sound like his fate has already been sealed by Rob Blake. But I also think that and I was reading an article in The Athletic. uh, Don't remember who wrote it at this point in time. Uh. Not sure that it matters. Uh, let's see. Um, yeah, no, no idea. So, but the article was about McClellan getting fired, and is it fair to put all the blame on him? And shouldn't Rob Blake absorb some of this blame? Because it was Rob Blake who made that hugely successful trade for Pierre Luc Dubois <laughs> and trading away, you know, Sean Dursey and Gabe Bellardi and 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 Alex Iafalo and I, yeah I don't <laughs> I didn't like the Sean Dursey trade at all um and I think because he was traded for a second round pick for Montreal yes the Montreal pick is going to be nice or um um but like and the Pierre Luc Dubois trade eh, that was <coughs> a little hard to justify excuse me um, to you go back to you go back to 
Uh, June of last year, um, uh, June 6th of 23, in a three-way trade that involved Columbus and the Flyers, um, they sent out Cal Peterson, Sean Walker, and Helgi Granz. They got back Kevin Connaughton, Ivan Provorov, and Hayden Hodgson, and then immediately said, Ivan Provorov, enjoy your time in in Columbus, where he... Got to shake hands and show his phone to Mike Babcock, um, and has already uh, worn out his welcome. Um, I I don't know that any of his last couple of trades are going to cover him in glory. Well, the Pierre Luc Dubois trade was done purely on spec, first of all, because this guy was a was a, a troublemaker under. John Tortorella. And if John Tortorella can't whip this guy into shape, I don't know who can. It sounds to me like unless you're willing to just give in to whatever he wants, you're not going to be successful. And John Tortorella is the wrong guy for giving in to whatever he wants. (laughs) I'm looking at all of the trades that he made last year. Uh Uh-huh. They're bad. Uh Uh-huh. I mean, the Jonathan, Quick and the, no, the Jonathan Quick, Oliver Bonk trade, um, Quick is having a not terrible season. Um, well, he was traded to Vegas, and now Quick doesn't like L.A. anymore. And he's I in. honestly thought that was a wildly entertaining um, interview. That um, was very entertaining. I thoroughly enjoyed that. Yeah, I'm... I'm going back into the two, into 2022, and I I think that uh, general man I think that uh, president of hockey operations uh, Rob Blake needs to give um, general manager Rob Blake a vote of confidence. Oh yes, okay. those are those are really good. Those votes of confidence they they yes. mean uh, they mean a whole lot. You um, got you you got rid of Sean Dursey. Are you nuts? (laughs) I'm sorry. There's no other way to put it. Sean Dursey, points-producing defenseman, flourishing with Arizona because you had to make room for Dubois' $8.5 million average annual value. You got rid of Velarde and Ayafalo in the – Who are collectively less than – less salary and more points than – PLD. The three of those guys, average annual value combined is 9.1. And they're having comparable season to or better than what Pierre-Luc Dubois is doing at eight and a half. I'm sorry. No, you should have kept them and not done the Dubois deal. (laughs) As for signings, uh, let's see. Uh, in terms of recent signings, um, I don't even see. Was Fiala a signing or did they acquire him in a trade with Minnesota? Um, Fiala, I think that was a trade, but. Um, I don't know. Wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. Fiala was a big money acquisition from the previous, so he, was, he must have been a free agent. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Vice President uh, Rob Blake definitely needs to give deliver that vote of confidence publicly uh, to General Manager Rob Blake. The thing that's sad is the way we talk about Pierre-Luc Dubois, he's only 25 years old. I know. It, it's, he's got his whole future ahead of him, and he's got a reputation of being a complete um, – oh, I was going to say a bad word, but um, – Donkey. Yes. That's exactly – Yes. Yes. I mean, why would you want that kind of reputation? I don't know that. I mean, from what we see in the media, I don't know that it matters to him or that he understands that it's actually not just one or two people who write newspaper articles. It's a widely held opinion. I mean, the whole thing of fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. You know, if you look around, the, you know, if, if, if there's a if there's a, a a donkey in the room and you look around, you can't find the donkey. You're the donkey. Um, yeah. PLD. There you go. Sorry. You, you did it in one town. Now you're doing it in another town. It, is, people are going to start believing the stories. Isn't this his third team, though? Oh, yeah. Didn't he start in Winnipeg? Yes. He was traded to Winnipeg for Jack Rossler. Uh, Jack Ro- He was traded. Uh, yeah. No, he went to Winnipeg because they got Jack Roslovic back. Columbus did. Columbus first. Columbus first, then Winnipeg. Because that's where he played under. And then Winnipeg. Uh, he, and then the Winnipeg trade was Gabe Velarde, Alex Iafalo, a bunch of other stuff. For Pierre Luc Dubois, so yes, he went. He was Columbus first. Columbus got Jack Roslovic, who, by the way, might be some somebody to consider for the Bruins. I don't think he's any better than a third line center, but young and has some upside, so he might be an idea. Um, but yeah, it, it, this is his third team, and he's wearing out his welcome everywhere. I'm sorry. Does at some point where there's smoke, there's fire. And it's sad for a kid who's 25 that he's going to be out of the NHL because he can't play well with others. I mean, he's absolutely underproducing given his contract. He's got 20 points through 48 games. Um, and when your contract says that you're an $8.5 million man, and actually your total salary this year is $9 million, I wonder and the that's next why, seasons, it's 11 and a quarter. I wonder if he's the reason Paul Maurice left Winnipeg. That's a very interesting question. And you mentioned earlier in the show talking about Drew Doughty being um, chatting about certain players in, in the locker room. Oh, yeah. It's... It's an interesting conversation point. Well, I'll give you I'll give you the, the quote real quick. It's I think we've got guys in this room that are too worried about themselves and worried about their points and worried about stuff like that. He was concerned that his words might be falling on deaf ears. So whoever he's directing it at, since he's smart enough to not name names. They aren't 
quick on the uptake, so to speak. And to be honest, I think part I think it's PLD. I, I think he's at least one of them. If there are multiple players on the team. I mean, Drew Doughty's been there his whole career. I mean, Drew Doughty doesn't apparently like anyone, according to his interviews. So that may be <laughs> a, a he's reason. Good buddy, he's good buddies with Matthew Kachuk. Come on. <laughs> oh, they're the best. They're I besties. Hello. Have you not seen them interact on the ice? They're besties. As I said, I think they have matching tattoos. <laughs> oh, they went they they went Sagan and Dad on on this one, huh? Yeah. Wow. Okay. I know they're besties. So. Um. <laughs> okay. Speaking just, of speaking of warm communications and friendly uh, interactions through the media. Yeah. Most exciting uh, action or uh, the most exciting and interesting moment of the of the all star festivities came in the locker room from David Pasternak. I was wondering if you're going to go to this or not. Oh, I was definitely going to this. (laughs) How could I not go to this? Well, I didn't know. I, I didn't know if you got a chance to read it because I I found this just before the show. That, that, that's why I had to throw it up there. Because for me, this is brilliance, uh, and I'm sure that David is going to play off complete innocence on this one. <laughs> but go for it, please. I I mean, English is not his first language. I, I think that he speaks it well. But yes, I get what you're saying. <laughs> So David Pasternak is asked about, you know, the Toronto, uh, about the all-star game and the Toronto team made up of all four of their players, uh, as well as uh, their celebrity captain. Bear in Uh, mind, his team had just lost to them. His team just lost to them. And Pasternak says, good for them. They need some wins. They got the win today. And... Taken at face value, as I'm sure he meant it to be. Oh, yeah. There's nothing wrong with that statement. So it's the name on the front of the it's not it's the name on the front of the jersey, not the name on the back that you might want to pay attention to on this stuff. Um, Being understanding that David Pasternak is. Got a sense of humor, and you would have to you would have to to wear some of the clothes that he does, um, or, or listen to he's a Barbie girl in a Barbie world. Go on, then. yeah, uh, that too. Um, oh, by the way, he was in Salt Lake when they discovered that this was his favorite song. By the way, Salt Lake City isn't it, uh, what's the NHL team there or to be there? Anyways, um, <laughs> this was definitely a dig at the rivals. Um, this was 1,000% a dig at the rivals, and I'm here for it. Like, this is the sort of thing that should be coming up in interviews on a pretty regular basis, not the aggressively bland, oh, yeah, we just got to take it one day at a time and do our shit and uh, win each shift, and no. I think I think my favorite now, term. It, it is worth noting that the reason that one of the big reasons that 
the that Toronto and Team Bieber won is because they had the right coach. But well, yes, Jim Montgomery, who's now who's now won two years in a row, by the way. Just saying. Um, as he should. But my favorite chirp, and and I do love the I do love the Maple Leafs one, but. Uh, he talked about not Team Matthews. See the Maple Leafs again. We do not see the Maple Leafs again until March fourth. Um, this will this will keep. Game. This is on slow boil, so this will keep. You have a crock pot, right? Slow cooker. There, yeah. yes, there and we get to see them again here in Boston on the seventh, uh, with only the Oilers in between. So that should be a fun set of games. <laughs> he comes out. Like, he's talking about Team Matthews and everything. He goes. And he gets asked about Justin Bieber. He goes, yeah, well, he's a Leafs fan, so that's a bit of a step back. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) If you're going to honestly tell me he doesn't know what he's saying, you're fooled more than anybody else. I mean, come on now. He knows exactly what he is saying. He knows exactly where he is when he's saying it. (laughs) <laughs> Wait, are you are, you're not insinuating that the fact that he was in Toronto saying this about Toronto guys getting booed by the Toronto fans? He's getting a lot of booze. But that's because, you know, Toronto can't beat the Bruins in the in the playoffs. So he's getting a lot of booze. He was hearing it from the fans, and even Sway said he knew he was going to get some booze, but (laughs) yes, he knew exactly where he was. He knew exactly who his audience was. He knew exactly what he was saying, and I have a very hard time believing anything else, and I absolutely love it. This Uh This is why Jack keeps screaming about we need more games against Rivalries are what make teams work. And comments like this are what make rivalries work. (laughs) Like this is – stuff like this is why you don't see a bunch of articles talking about uh, Kuznetsov basically sleeping through um, the entire skills competition because he – of all the disengaged players on the ice, Kucherov he was, was fairly upright. Kucherov was just kind of skating around. and I mean, he's doing one drill, and it's like, oh, he does it. And they even comment on it. They're like, yeah, I guess this just isn't his cup of tea. It's like, he doesn't want to be here, guys. <laughs> no, nope. he doesn't. Seconds. Um, So while we're on the topic of Toronto and its superstars, um, our will he or won't he for the week was about Toronto's own Austin Matthews. And this is, of course, not counting whatever he scored at the All-Star festivities. Will Austin Matthews hit 70 or more goals this season? 14.3% 14. Uh, 14.3% on one side, 85.7% on the other side. And I think the 14.3 are more likely to be right. Uh, 
Because that 14.3% said no. Well, that's fine, because as we discussed this, and I don't remember if it was last week or in a segment in another show. It was last week. Yeah, pasta, the aforementioned pasta from the prior segment, uh, has come out and made comments about when he, last season, when he scored the 50 or 60, and he said, it was so hard getting that 50th goal, but getting from 50 to 60 seemed like it went by in a breeze. Because you get, and and I understand him, because as a hockey player, you start gripping that stick tighter. That 50th goal, you're stuck, you seem like you're stuck on 49 for weeks. And you're expecting this guy to score 30 goals in the remaining 30, I don't know how many games they have left, 30? Effectively, no, 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 40 goals, 40 goals. He's got 40 goals already. Oh, I'm sorry, 30, yeah, you're right, 30 goals. expecting him to score another 30 goals in odd games. 31 game, no, 33 games. I don't know how many they have left. 49. It's it almost doesn't matter because the last time this happened was in the 92-93 season. I just I don't see it happening only because it it does get difficult. It, there is the human factor, and he may be a he may be a prolific goal scorer. I, I forget the human factor. For me, it's the goals, the goal, te- uh, the goaltending factor. Well, there's the that too. Yes, is so much better than it was 30 years ago. It's just not worth discussing. Like I don't consider the 70 goal mark a real thing anymore. I mean, look at look at look at goaltending in the just look at goaltending in the All Star game itself. I mean, there was a time where we were talking about 15, 16 goals scored in an All Star game, and now we've got. All-star games that are finishing 4-4 and going into a shootout, which, okay. Mm. But the point is that the the goal scoring is down. The goaltenders are better. They're actually trying to show their skill instead of just being like, oh, yeah, go ahead. Sure, there's the net. Have at it. Well, wasn't who was it? Uh, was it Carey Price that was uh, goaltending backwards in net one year? <laughs> I, um, I vaguely remember this, and I'm not. No, wait a minute. I think it was. I think it was Rick DiPietro. Um, uh, I'd have to look it up, and I'll do that for next week's show. But like, legitimately, it's. Uh, Whatever they did this year to take all of the engagement of the players out, well, aside from Conor McDavid, um, they just need to put it back in. Like, I, yeah, at no point during All Star Weekend was I enjoying watching. That's that's all I got to say. And I I absolutely love the skills competition. But between the way that they were, the audio was handled, the way the fan reactions, the player <clears throat> players were upright, reasonably sober, uh, and wearing their uniforms, and that's pretty much all you can say beyond they were there. So I, I learned that the act guy in second place for goals scored is actually closer than I thought. Sam Reinhardt has 37. Is it even a foregone conclusion that Austin Matthews is going to win the, the rocket? rocket Richard trophy as the most goals in the, in most goals in the season? I don't think so. Um, because 
Pasta had a couple of nearly warm spots, and he hasn't and he, had a hot goal scoring tear. He's another one who could go on a tear. So I don't know that Austin Matthews is even going to finish the season as the Rashad Trophy winner. Um, I think we're more likely to see more than two players break 60 goals this year than we are to see any number of players hit 70. Um, right as of right now, there are okay. I'll just read the list: Austin Matthews, Sam Reinhart, David Pasternak, Nikita Kucherov, Nathan McKinnon, Artemi Panarin, Brock Besser, and Zach Hyman, who all have thirty or more goals. Zach Hyman, wow! If there's a name on that list that's surprising, that's it. Um. Those those guys all have 30 or more. It's, okay. There's a chance that we could even see three 60-goal scores this year. Because we just talked about David Pasternak not having had a super hot stretch, and he's at 33. People seem to forget that Sam Reinhart knows what to do with the goal, with the, with the puck, and he's at 37. I think that's um, Kucherov is probably going to get um, rudely used uh, and probably has been being rudely used since the skills competition over text messages and whatever other forms of communications he uses. Because I don't know if you want to call it an embarrassment to the league, but in terms of a personal embarrassment, yeah, that that was not a good look. Uh what else do we want to cover this week? We've covered everything. We have. Uh, so we need a will he or won't he for well, next week. That was kind of where I was going with the um, Sam Reinhardt question. So what are you what are you proposing? I don't know. I was trying to think of something that uh, felt fit in with the. Is anybody going to score seventy? You know, but will Reinhardt sixty? Will Reinhardt pass Matthews? Will Reinhardt pass Matthews at any point this season? I think that's an interesting one. Want to go with that, or do you want to go with something else? No, that's fine. I was just trying to. I was trying to find some way to bring in other names because we seem to focus when we do these will he won't he's we always seem to focus on similar names and guys like Reinhardt kind of get played uh, played lost out in the shuffle. lost in the shuffle that's the phrase I'm looking for that final cliche for the day are you sure about that I mean I'm sure if we try really really hard if we dig deep put our noses to the grindstone uh and uh, leave it all up on the ice that we can find another one or two. Yeah, I suppose if we dipped our toes in the water. I, I think we should just dive in feet first, honestly. And on that note, boys and girls. <laughs> have a fantastic week. <coughs> oh, yes. The bean pot is actually <coughs> this week. I was so excited. My brain ate an entire week last week. So tune in. <clears throat> enjoy the games. Yes. It's- if your team isn't playing today or tomorrow or Monday or Tuesday or even Sunday, PWHL, 
uh, has some games. There's some really good college hockey going on right now. Don't let that other sport uh, in college uh, dominate the airwaves uh, too badly. Um, And we'll be back next week. Take care.